0: I'm going to grab this baseball bat. Um, I mean, people will ask me, I mean, we've been having, sometimes every now and then people will nod off in of service. And, um, some of you look nervous. Um, just kidding. Um, one, you know, we're about to get into World Series time. Um, here in just a few, we're uh, really close. And uh, I don't really watch a lot of baseball anymore. I grew up playing baseball, love baseball, but you know the games are just really long, and uh, and so. But maybe you know catch a game or parts of a game around playoff time and around World Series time. And you know what separates somebody that has a lot of ability to swing a baseball bat and to make solid contact and maybe uh, you know uh, where's Bob Blackwell uh, to maybe pull a Tim Tebow and hit a home run on their first pitch or whatever. You I mean, have to give him credit if, uh, if Uh, mentioned that this morning. Um, I think he thinks he was the first person that heard about that this week. I don't know. But but what separates those people and the really great hitters, right? Uh, The Hall of Fame type people. One of the things that we don't really think about. We think of hand-eye coordination. We think about strength. We think about bat speed. All those things we can see with our eye. What separates the really good baseball players, one of the things is patience, all right? And here's the thing about patience. There's two kinds of patience that you need uh, when you're playing baseball, right? On on the one hand, you have to be able to sit back and wait on a good pitch, right? If you just swing at everything uh, that is thrown your way and you don't know how to wait on your pitch um, and look for the right pitch and to be a little bit picky uh, when when you're up there batting, um, that's going to get you into trouble. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to strike out, but you're going to hit the pitch at the pitcher wants you to hit. There are certain pitches that the pitcher throws, not because he expects you to not hit them. He actually kind of hopes you do. Um, he has to throw less pitches because he threw that pitch up you would pop up or ground out or whatever. So there's a patience to wait on your pitch. And then there's also patience because you can't just uh, be anticipating that 90 mile an hour fastball, but there's also every now and then a change up or a curveball, and you've got to have the patience to sit back and that extra millisecond and wait to make solid contact with the ball. So patience is a big part of baseball, and patience is a big part of the Christian life, and it's one of those parts that we don't think often about. We do, but we think of it kind of in all the negative ways. We think about being impatient, but I think sometimes we fail to realize how big a part of the Christian life patience is, kind of like we forget about it in baseball. We forget that it's, it's really a major overshadowing part of the Christian life. In fact, much of the Christian life is waiting. It's waiting. We don't like to wait, right? I mean you think about it. Um we every Christian this morning is living in what we might call a gap. Right? We've placed our faith in Christ, but there's this gap between we've believed, right, and we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. Uh we're looking for a uh one day a new city, not built by us, but built by God. Uh we are looking um beyond this world. We have our hope somewhere else. Uh we're hoping for a Glori- we're looking forward to a glorified body uh, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't die, a, a place where we do not sin and aren't even tempted to sin. And as we look and hope for all these things, there's there's this there's this gap as we await because you don't, and I don't, we don't have a glorified body that doesn't get sick right now. We don't live in a place where there's no sin right now. Uh, we live in a broken world, right? And so we're in this gap between placed our faith in Christ, but we're waiting on the final consummation or fulfillment of any of His promises, or what we call the consummation of the kingdom of God. And so patience is a big part of our. Listen to what James says in verse five, seven through eight: says, "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it." until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he says, be patient what? Until the coming of the Lord. We live in the gap. It says, so you're going to need patience. Life is full of moments, though. Not, not only is the Christian life like, kind of like one big season of waiting in some senses, but there's, there's seasons of waiting, right? There are moments of waiting. There are delays and things that we don't get when we want, things that we don't experience when we want. And if we're not careful, as we go through the Christian life, kind of in this long life of what sometimes is waiting, and as we go through seasons and pockets personally of waiting upon the Lord, if we're not careful many times, what we'll try to do is we'll try to take things into our own hands and we'll begin to help God. Try to help God. And God doesn't need our help. But we'll try to do that sometimes if we're not careful. And, and what we're really trying to do when we try to help God is we're trying to be God. Uh, because you can't help God. And if, if God wanted help, He would, he would ask for help. And, uh, and God doesn't need us to fulfill His promises. God doesn't need us to accomplish what He said He's going to do. And God doesn't need us to fill in things that He's left blank. But many times we try to do these things rather than being patient and waiting on reward. And the truth is, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably had some wrong turns in your life. Sometimes where you got impatient. Sometimes where you kind of your faith kind of got rattled a little bit. Sometimes where you got your eyes off of the Lord and you're in the seasons of waiting we go through, and you maybe took an exit round. Maybe the wrong exit round. Maybe you took a wrong turn, and you made some decisions you shouldn't have made. Times where you decided to try and make something happen, or rather than listening to God and waiting on God. Or times you listen to your own thoughts rather than listen to God's word. Or times where you listen to the thoughts of a friend or maybe some ungodly counsel or the counsel of the world. And this morning we're going to see an example from Abram's life where he's in a season of waiting and he is tempted with to take things into his own hands. He's tempted to rather to be patient and wait upon the Lord to begin to try to help God. And he's going to fall for the temptation. And from Genesis sixteen, we're going to learn some lessons to help us in our seasons of waiting and our seasons of hurting. And it's in the quiet and sometimes the hard seasons, because sometimes those waiting seasons are painful seasons, that we have to learn to hold to what we know to be true. In Genesis sixteen, start reading, kind of bring up to speed, God has promised Abraham that he was or Abram, as we know him at this point, that he's going to make him a great nation. Right? I'm going to make you a great nation. Many peoples are going to come from you. In fact, so many are going to come from you, you're not even going to be able to count them. Can you count the stars? That's what we see in Genesis 15. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. Go outside and, and count the stars. If you can count the star, stars, you can count your descendants. And, right? and, of course, you can't count the stars. But yet, Abram's got this promise, but Abram has no children. About ten years has passed in Abram's faith journey since he's been called out by God to begin this journey. And he's been made all these promises, and he's seen financial blessing in his life. Um, He's seen incredible blessings from God in his life, but he doesn't have any children yet to have a child. And in Genesis 15, Abraham begins, his wills begin to to, to turn. He says, well, maybe it'll be Eleazar. Maybe he will be the one, that's one of his servants, and it wouldn't have been uncommon in that day uh, if you didn't have an heir to leave your stuff. Uh, to someone like that. And so, so maybe he's going to be kind of like, because it's kind of like he's a part of my household, not that he was like an adoptive son, but he was like a part of the household. And so maybe that's going to be the descendant. Maybe that's how God's going to do this thing. And so he t- says that out loud to God in Genesis 15. And God says, no, 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 no. You're going to have your very own son. It's not going to be a servant. It's not going to be somebody else in your household. You're going to have a son. <laughs> And then in chapter 16, after Abraham has this great experience with God in chapter 15, where God not only makes him this promise again, and gives him a more elaborate detail of it, but God actually makes a covenant with him. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how when they would cut the pieces of the animal and they would walk through, um, and when they make the covenant, both parties would walk through, and, but only God walks through in this one. God is taking responsibility for fulfilling his promise to Abraham. But in chapter 16, now a decade's gone by, they're getting impatient, they've been told they're going to be a great nation, yet they don't even have one child, and so Sarai, Abram's wife, gets an idea. So that's what we pick up in chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Let's pause there. So we're going to learn some lessons about waiting in these seasons of waiting as we go through this. Three lessons that we're going to learn from, from Abram's story here. The first lesson we're going to learn is that while waiting, we need to not assume and we need to not depart from God's direction. That sounds simple. Uh, but that's the initial temptation. When we don't need to assume things and we don't need to depart from God's direction. Abram and Sarai here are experiencing a delay in the fulfillment of God's promise to them. Years have passed, and there's no children. And imagine the day Abram had told his wife. There were 70, Abram was 75 when we picked up his life story. And he, all of a sudden God makes this promise that he's going to have a child. So imagine what they thought when God told them this. Imagine what she thought. Maybe you wondered if she was a part of the story or not. It's not really explicit in the beginning then imagine in chapter 15, after God tells Abram that, hey, you're going to have a son. You personally are going to have a son. This is not going to be your servant. You're going to have a son. So imagine, I just assume that Abram spoke to her about this. We don't know this for sure, but we can kind of assume that they probably talked about this since this kind of affected their whole family. And imagine what went through her mind when he said this. Late in life, no children for years, for decades. And now all of a sudden they're going to have children, but she's never exactly heard her name mentioned in this, just that Abram has this promise that he'll have children. The thought wheels begin to go. Is God? How's God going to do this? He didn't say I'll be the mother. Am I going to be the mother? It, I haven't had children yet. God made us this promise ten years ago. Is there something wrong with me? Is my mind not a part of the plan? Is there something we're supposed to be doing? And so there's all this wheels kind of going on. Is there another path here? And here's the truth. Life is just full of delays. Do you know that? Even within God's promises and within the will of God, your life, and my life, they are full of delays. There are going to be seasons in your life where you're going to want something and you're not going to have it. There are going to be seasons in your life that God's going to orchestrate waiting and delays into your life. There are going to be times in your spiritual journey where God's going to teach you patience and where your faith is going to be tested. But we don't like to wait. It's kind of like when you're on the interstate. I remember back before you really had GPS and stuff, if you got stuck on the interstate, at least I would, I would look for the next exit, and I would just kind of jump off and think, well, maybe I'll my way back around all this mess, right? And that usually didn't go well, but I'd just jump off like that. And now, you know, you you you, you do your Google map or whatever, and it pulls up the route, and you see the red lines. And so you're trying to avoid the, I hate the red lines that come up on the map because you know that's waiting. We're not just like that at the on the interstate. We're like that at the grocery store. You don't just go get in line at the grocery store with your buggy. You look for the shortest line at the grocery store. And some of you go getting those 10 items or less lines and you've got more than 10 items. And you irritate me. But that's beside the point. But... <laughs> That's the bat. That's why I brought the bat. But, but no, you know, and you're like, you know, you, some people, they're like they're in the Olympics when they're in the store, right? You push up with your buggy, but they're like running with theirs to get in front of you, right, with their two things or whatever. And uh, and we just kind of, uh, right? Because we're not just naturally patient usually. It's fruit of the spirit, but it's not a fruit of our flesh. And so we don't like to wait. We, we, we avoid waiting at all costs, just about. And so we mount the shortest routes with the least traffic. We look for the shortest lines. We do not like to wait. But yet God will orchestrate, I believe, seasons of waiting into our lives many times to strengthen our faith. Delays are a reality of the Christian experience. And there can be times of spiritual strengthening, but they can also be times of spiritual missteps. Things never go well when you begin to force your timing or your plans on God. You know, God has not called us to lead Him, but to follow Him. And sometimes that means waiting on Him. So, first of all, we see the delay, and then we see there's an assumption. She assumes that her barrenness is the Lord's prevention. Now, God is sovereign over all things, and that includes the womb. She was right to assume that God is sovereign. But can't you just hear it? Can't you just kind of hear it in, in just the way it's worded? The Lord has prevented me, and then you see what happens after that? It doesn't seem like this is like some confidence boast in the sovereignty of God over the situation, as much as it seems as a little bit of a finger wag and a point at God has to say, at the end of the day, God says this, but this is what I'm experiencing from God. Yeah, I know God's given you this promise, but he hasn't given given me a baby in the womb. And so there seems to be maybe a little bit of blame here. And I think what's happening, no matter what, whether she's trying to blame God or not, she is trying to assume some things. She seems to be assuming that just because she's yet to become pregnant, that she never will become pregnant. And that seems to make sense from a scientific perspective at this point, but God's given a promise. He hasn't given a promise to her. He's given a promise to Abram, but... She's starting to assume things. She's assuming that since the Lord has not blessed her with a child, that God's never going to bless her with a child. She's assuming that she needs to be a little more active in this process. She's assuming lots of things as the wills of her. And we need to be very careful that we don't fill in what God has purposely left blank. See, God had not said yet that Sarai would become pregnant. He had said that God would, he would make a great nation through Abram. He had said that he would do it by his very own son. But he had never said yet that your wife, Sarai, will become pregnant with the child. He had never said that. We say, well, well, that makes us understand maybe why she begins to get creative here. Yeah, the problem is, though, she's assuming things. And that's why we, when we start assuming, well, since God hasn't made this clear to me yet, since God hasn't spoken here yet, maybe I need to fill in the blank. And we've got to be very careful not to fill in blanks where God has left blanks. Because God leaves blanks there for a reason. There are times in life where you would like an answer or a clear picture and God's going to leave a blank there. Not on accident. And it's not going to be because you're not praying hard enough. And it's not going to be because you're not seeing clear enough. Those can all be reasons. I'm not disputing that. There are going to be times, it's just going to be cause. Why? Just cause. Cause why? Cause he's God. And he's doing it this way for a reason. And we're going to see in the grand story here that God's doing things in such a way that nobody else can get credit for this, but God. He's doing it in such a way that He's going to wait so long that they can't explain this pregnancy outside the miracle, miraculous hand of God. He's not doing it in a way that that's just they can just kind of explain away, like, well, this is you know this is just how it works. No, He's doing it in such a way that it wants it to seem hopeless. But they don't understand that right now, so they don't need to fill in the blanks assuming God's will and assuming God's plan is simply a way many times for us to play God. And that's what they begin to do. And then they depart. There's a departure that takes place, right? Rather than seeking God on this, they come up with a plan. She comes up with a plan that involves her servant giving a child to Abraham. Now, by the way, this is the first time we see this kind of act in the Bible. And it goes on to plague the people of God in the Old Testament. This was not a God, part of God's original design. Jesus is very clear on it. Genesis is very clear on it. God created a man and a woman, one man, one woman, one marriage, one flesh. It's very explicit in Genesis from creation. But here's the first departure we begin to see from that. And in this case, it's not divorce is the departure that you see. It's like, well, maybe since this wife's not having a child, maybe, maybe we can have kind of a, a different situation going here. Maybe my servant. Now, here's the thing. Culturally, this was very common at this time. In this part of the world, this particular time it was very common this was culturally very acceptable and culturally very normative but what is culturally normative and what is culturally acceptable doesn't mean it's acceptable to God or normative to God and we need to, that's a word for us in our day as well. there are many times that culture and God's word and what God teaches depart and here, what you see is and this bothers people sometimes because they see the father of the faith make this crazy misstep that we're about to read that he's about to make and you're kind of like. What's going on here? Well, he's a very imperfect person. You have to understand that. But God does never approve of this. In fact, the Bible goes to great pains throughout the Old Testament when you see these scenarios like this to show us the bad situations they get people into. It never ends well. Whether it's David or whether it's Solomon or whoever it is or whether it's Abram, there's always a negative consequence because it's outside of God's design. In Abram's falls in line with the plan of his wife. The text says he listened to the voice of Sarah. Just like last week, we have this text pointing us back to Genesis 3 and the fall of man. There we read that Adam listened to the voice of his wife Eve. And the point is not that men should not listen to the voice of their wife. right? In fact, we would do better to listen to the voice of our wife. That's not the point. The point is he's listening to her plan instead of God's plan. The point is he's listening to her instead of God. The point is he's He's listening and he's following other voices rather than the voice that's supposed to be leading him, which is the Lord's voice. God had told Adam that if he he should not eat of this particular fruit from this particular tree, God had told Abram that he would have children and he had not given him all the details yet, but that he would have children. But just as Adam listened to Eve instead of God, Abram listens to Sarai instead of seeking the Lord in this situation. And God's plan is going to be more clearly revealed to Abram and to his wife in chapter 17 and 18 over a decade after this incident. They had waiting left to do. They may have thought they had fixed the issue as we get through this story. They may have think that they're going to help, but they've got a lot of waiting left. And many times, waiting we experience in the Christian experience, in Christian life, is by design and a part of the journey. And it's a part of the journey here for them. There may be waiting in your romantic life if you're single. There may be waiting if you're if you're married, kids, all different parts of God's design. God may have a different design altogether for your life, waiting in your career path and career choices when you're when you are waiting, God is working He's always working, working on you and don't assume he's given up many times his working is in the waiting many times the, the waiting on the Lord the whole purpose is because God is working in that moment in your life or in the life of someone around you. And our assumption should always be that God has revealed to us what we need to know and that if we will listen to him and obey him, he will take care of the rest. Our assumption should not be, well, God must want me to fix this. Our plans do not and never do secure God's promises. He does not need our plans to secure his promises. God does not need our help. Our role is to do what he tells us and to simply trust him. And sometimes that means we don't have all the answers sometimes that means we don't understand what's going on. But it never means that we are to take into our hands what God intends to be in His hands. Now look at verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Second lesson. Departure from God's direction creates a snowball effect in our lives. And we're beginning to see the snowball effect. In verse 4. This this snowball is going to go on for centuries. (laughs) But it starts very personally in their lives. Abram goes for the plan. And in doing so, he's abdicating his role as the spiritual leader of his family. Just like Adam did. He's in the long run going to hurt his wife. And he's going to hurt Hagar. And create multiple problems for his people for centuries down the road. And whenever we depart from God's direction of our life, from His design, whenever we ignore Him, fail to seek Him, we set ourselves up for a snowball effect of problems. Because our sin never affects just us. And in fact, when there is sin, usually there's more sin. Did you know that? It's hard for people when they're sinned against to not sin in response. So it creates the snowball. First we see Hagar looks with contempt on her mistress, on Sarah. She thinks she's better than her. She looks down with haughtiness because she's able to conceive where she was not able to conceive. And in this whole scenario, Hagar, by the way, is the biggest victim. But we see here that even she's not without sin. None of them escape without sin and hers is her sin of pride and treating her with, her mistress with contempt. And then Sarai is angered and blames Abram for the whole situation. Once again, this reminds us in the Garden of Eden, right, when Adam and Eve start blaming The serpent and Adam blames Eve and blames the Lord and they're blaming God. And there's all this blame going on. And so did Abram have a role? Yeah, he didn't lead properly. But whose idea was it? She's not owning her responsibility in all this. And then third, we see Abram sins toward both his wife and Agar. He doesn't lead and this fails his wife he doesn't own anything he just commits her servant back to her he leaves Hagar out to dry to be mistreated even if he didn't intend that to happen he allows Hagar to be mistreated by his wife and that's not okay in the situation either sin has a way of building momentum it has a way of spinning out of control you ever i mean you ever built a big snowball just a snowball effect. Now, for those of you that are born and raised here, snow is a icy white powdery substance you can pack together. But you get that little snowball rolling, and if you get if you've got enough snow in a big enough hill, you can create a situation that you can't control, right? And you, we see it more like in movies and in cartoons. But you imagine the big bouncing, bounding ball of ice rolling down the hill. Nobody's controlling that thing because it just gets bigger and faster as it goes, and Sin gets way beyond our control. It creates a snowball effect that you can't control. Our schemes and our plans in place of God's plans never produce what we're really aiming for. It produces chaos many times. In here, they're aiming for a child. They want the promise of God to be fulfilled to them, but instead they get contempt, jealousy, bitterness, and just a huge soap opera mess in their household. Sin begets sin. And when sinners are sinned against, we tend to, we shouldn't, but we tend to, sin back. Notice all through the first six verses that we've read, God's not spoken to or speaking. He's only being blamed, it seems. And they're not seeking God's help or God's direction. God speaks audibly to Abram. Abram has experienced incredible encounters with God over the years, over over this decade. Yet, we see him not taking this problem to God. They're pursuing man-made answers to what is really a God-sized problem. Now, in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her, who's her? Hagar. Found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness. She's ran off from him. She's deserted, ran off from them because she's being mistreated. So he found her by the spring on the way to Shur, And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharoah. it lies between Kadesh and Bereth. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So all of a sudden in verse 7, God's very involved. God's speaking. God's revealing himself. God's at work. Now notice Abram's failure to patiently wait on God, but instead to take matters into his own hands, creates an effect that's going to impact him for years, for generations. Ishmael, will dwell over against his kinsmen. He will be a wild donkey of a man. There are consequences for Abram and his people from Abram's sin. There will be nations that will come from Ishmael's lineage and there will be these seasons and these battles of wars between Israel and these other nations and it's this this conflict that happens. Now, the person that has really been taken advantage of here is Hagar. Sure, she sinned in her attitude, but she's been used. She's been mistreated. She's in the least powerful position in this whole situation. She's the servant. She's the one that stands the most to lose. She's mistreated, so she runs away. And in her encounter with God, we learn a lesson that can help us when we're hurting and when we're waiting. A lesson that she didn't wasn't the only one that needed, but Abram and Sarah needed as well. And the third lesson is this. God sees and God hears at all times and in all seasons. See, Hagar runs away because she's being mistreated. Maybe she's trying to get back to Egypt. we don 't know interesting thing is we know when he when he goes to Egypt, when he leaves egypt, he leaves, he leaves with servants and things, and so it 's very possible and most likely that she was a gift in a sense from Pharaoh. But here, she can't take it anymore. and She's just getting out. Maybe she's trying to get back to Egypt, but she's pregnant, she's being mistreated, and she runs off basically into the wilderness. And the most likely thing to happen to her is that her and the child will die. But notice God's pursuit. He's not absent in our pain. He's not absent in our waiting. God intervened and God found her when she needed God most. The angel of the Lord found her, it says. The angel of the Lord is a mysterious figure in the Old Testament that we're not going to solve today. But people have different theories. Some believe he's an angel being assigned to represent God. So, therefore, that's why when he speaks, it's like God speaking because he's on specific assignments. Some believe that this is a pre incarnate Christ. And that she's encountering Jesus here because angel can just mean messenger of the Lord. And so people disagree over that. But the point is, through the angel of the Lord, the Lord is seeking her. And God seeks us. This scene once again reminds us of the garden. Adam and Eve hid from God. And God said, where are you? Not because God didn't know where they were. God says to her, where have you come from? Where are you going? Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to talk. He wants to commune. He wants to have felt. He wants to deal with the situation. He wants her to deal with the situation. He wanted Adam and Eve to deal with their sin. He wants her to deal with their problem. He wants to talk. So God seeks her out, and that's what God does. God seeks us. God finds us when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we've sinned, and all those things. God is the pursuer of people, even when we're running away. And then God begins to direct her. He says, Return and submit. He gives her the direction she needs, and He gives it to her when she needs it. Timing. She's not really knowing what to do. By being out in the wilderness, like I said, the most likely thing is that she and the baby. Huh? But God's direction to her is life-saving. He doesn't want her and this baby to die. He doesn't want this baby to grow up without a father. And God sent her back into a difficult situation. (laughs) And God is not opposed, by the way, to sending us into and back into difficult situations. Just as He is not opposed to sending us into seasons of waiting. What's most important is that we obey God no matter the situation or the circumstances He allows us or places us in. And our issues are not resolved by running away from she wasn't going to resolve anything by running away. She was going to die. And we have to be willing to deal with our junk even when it's messy. And there's a lot of junk here that's going to have to be dealt with when she gets back to see Abram and her mistress Sarah. It was a mess. But it was a mess God was sending her back into. And then God makes her a promise. He says he's going to multiply her. Does that sound familiar? Did he say that's what He's going to do to Abram? There's going to be a numerous people come from her. And he he says, you're going to name your son Ishmael. The Lord hears is what that means. The Lord hears. God tells her that he will be a wild donkey of a man. Hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. Dwell over against his kinsmen. Right? Now we look at that we're kind of like, wow, that's a scary thing to hear from God. But if you're her and you're in the wilderness because of what Abram and Sarah has done to you, you're thinking, okay. Right? Sounds, Sounds a little different from her perspective. God's going to multiply me. I'm nations. I mean, this sounds pretty cool. There's not, there's not a life without consequences here for the people who put, helped put me in this situation. And she experiences God seeking her and directing her and encouraging her. And she calls the name of the Lord while she's there. The God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. El Roja. She says, she has seen him who looks after me. She has this encounter with God and she learns from this encounter that God is watching over her affairs. That God is intimately involved in the details of her life. And she learns two things from God seeking her and directing her and encouraging her. She learns that God listens and she learns that God sees. God says, I heard your affliction. Now, we don't know what her affliction was. She was probably crying out to the Lord. We don't really know. But the point is, God, I see your pain. I see what you're going through. I see your hurting. I see your suffering. I, I, I'm hearing it. I'm listening. And then she says, I get that God sees me. He's involved in my life. It's life-changing for her. She goes back as commanded. And when the baby is born, who names the baby? Abram. Who did God give the name to? Hagar. So, I believe she shared this story about her encounter with God and God's word to her. And the big takeaway from the story is that God says this boy, Ishmael, will be called God Hears. And so every time Sarai or Abram have to talk about this child, they are going to hear. It's like, it's like this. Hey, where's God Hears? I don't know. Have you seen God Hears? Is God Hears coming for dinner? Hey, Abram, have you seen God Hears? No, I haven't seen God Hears. Have you seen God Hears? And maybe over the course of the years that he's in their, in their family unit, maybe they learned something that they should have already realized. See, this is a lesson that both Abram and Sarai in their waiting and Hagar in her hurting needed to hear. Life is full of seasons and sometimes they are waiting slow, quiet, and even painful seasons. But see, they didn't wait on the Lord in their season. They didn't listen to the Lord. They didn't take their case to the Lord. They acted as, with, as if God couldn't see what was going on. They acted as if God wouldn't listen to them if they did take it to Him. But He's a God who sees, and He's a God who listens. You know, we like to be seen. We like to be heard. We, we don't want to be ignored. It's in human nature. And that seems to be kind of what's going on with Sarai in this, is that she just, she kind of feels like she's disconnected, in a sense, from the promise. You know, Cannon, our three-year-old, is in a phase now, three, almost four, is in a phase now where when Eden's been sick for a few days and so when she's sick and she's crying and she's getting lots of attention, all of a sudden, Canon develops an issue. Huh? Now, he's sick. I don't feel good. I need to be held. I need to be, you know, I, I, I need hugs and I need to be held. And I need attention because he doesn't like the fact that she's getting more attention than he's getting. So he's learned how to manipulate for attention. We learned that at young age. Because... We want to be seen. We want to be heard. And in this situation, we need to understand something. We don't have to do something outlandish to be seen and to be heard by God when we're hurting and when we're in pain. When we're not seeing Him work in the way we wish or feel like He's listening to us. Don't let your feelings lie to you and rob you from reality. Your feelings will tell you God's not listening, God doesn't see, he doesn't understand your situation, God's over here God's busy with other things, doing other things, and God's not really concerned with that issue or that thing. But what God teaches us through this story is that God is seeing and God is listening. But that doesn't mean that there won't be waiting. Abram and Sarai moved, but God had never moved. God was the same God that in chapter 15 said, look at the stars. The same God who had made a covenant and walked through the pieces alone. The same God that when Abram said, it's going to be Eliezer. And he said, no, it's going to be your son. Abram had experienced God listening to him. He had experienced God seeing. He had been pursued and directed and encouraged by God and made promises by God. He had his own encounters with God that he could fall back on. But in this moment, they failed to listen to God and to hold to the promise. They begin to assume. They begin to wander. And in the story of Hagar, we learn God's heart for hurting, for the outcasts, for the mistreated, for those who are suffering or in pain. We learn that God is a God who hears and sees those that others refuse to hear. And others refuse to listen to. Abram had listened to his wife instead of God. Then we get to the end of the story and God listens to Hagar. Listening is all over this passage. Abram doesn't listen to God. God listens to Hagar. Abram should have been listening to God. But see, when we don't think God listens to us, sometimes we stop listening to Him. And maybe there's an element of that going on in this story. When we're in seasons of difficulty or waiting and disappointment and hurt, rather than taking matters into our hands as they did, and as Hagar began to do by running away, we need to take hold of the promise that God is ultimately involved in our lives. And that He sees us and He will hear us if we cry to Him. Do you know God pursues sinful, hurting people? Sinful people and hurting people? Broken people? Just because you're waiting doesn't mean God is ignoring you this morning? That just because you're hurting doesn't mean God is distant from you this morning? Rather than try and fix our problems ourselves, or rather than running away from our problems, as Hagar was doing, rather than growing impatient with the Lord and pointing the favor, as Sarai did, God wants us to walk through the journey with Him and trust Him that He sees us and hears us and that He'll guide us and to trust Him with the timing. God sees, He hears. But the question of the text is, do we wait and do we listen? Do we obey? Do we submit? Do we trust God when we don't see God working? The God who hears and the God who sees and looks after us has revealed Himself most clearly in the person of Lord Jesus Christ. God looks and He knows and He sees humanity's plight. And what does God do? He pursues us in our sin. He comes to us. Just as the angel of the Lord went to her, God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation. When we call to Him in the name of Jesus, what does God do? He hears us, the Bible teaches us. Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' death for sinners, where He takes on the punishment we deserve. Takes on and absorbs the wrath of God in his resurrection and victory over sin, death, and hell. It, it's a flat, the gospel, the coming of Jesus, the work of Jesus, it's all a flashing neon sign that God cares about you, that God sees your situation, that God hears you when you call to him, that he cares for hurting and broken people and sinful people, and that he has a plan, and that he's at work in the world, even when we don't understand what's going on. I don't think the disciples understood what was going on. When Jesus was hanging on a cross or in a tomb for three days but the gospel is a flashing neon sign to us that God is the God who sees and God is the God who listens. Do you know the God who sees and the God who hears? Do you know Jesus? That's the first question this morning. And believer, if you're in a season of waiting or or even a season of just kind of pain and hurt, don't assume for God and don't depart from God's direction. Do what you know to do. Do what you know to do when you don't know what to do. There are certain things you know to do. And do what you know to do until God gives you the next step. And don't assume. And understand, when we depart, it's going to create a snowball effect and sometimes the consequences are going to carry on for years. And hold to the promise that God hears and God sees no matter the season you're in. No matter what your feelings are telling you. No matter what your circumstances are speaking into your life. Know what God says. He hears. He sees. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ personally as Lord and Savior, I invite you today to call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. He will hear your call. He sees you this morning. He sees your condition. He sees your sin. And He loves you just like you are. And He loves you entirely too much to leave you that way. So He sent His Son. He has come. He's, He's seen our predicament. He's seen our sin. He's seen our brokenness. And He's come Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son. He's come to take on our sin. To be raised from the dead. To give us victory. To give us life. And So if you don't know Christ today, I invite you to call on Him even right where you sit, to turn from your sin and by faith embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. I'd love to talk with you if you need prayer. If you need to talk about that very decision, I'd love to talk with you about that. Catch me after the service as well. I'll be around. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, if you're a Christian, what season are you in? It's important to know what season we're in. Sometimes you're going to go through delays and waiting and painful seasons and all those things where you kind of wonder what God's doing and when God's going to do what. Wait upon the Lord. Be patient. Do what you know God has told you to do and trust Him to do what He said He would do and leave the rest to Him.